Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, May 15th. In what ways could artificial intelligence transform our world, and what are the pros and cons of the fast-paced growth of AI? We discuss with Marcel Gagné, author, journalist, and IT consultant. Are you hoping to one day see 100 candles on your birthday cake? We catch up with Dr. Ted Jablonski for details on a new book that offers up some tips to live a long, happy, and purposeful life penned by a family doctor who just celebrated her 102nd birthday. It's one of the biggest days on the QR calendar, Pledge Day, which takes place the first week of December. We speak with John Voss, chair of the Calgary Children's Foundation, to hear details on some of the important charities that will be receiving much-needed funds thanks to your generous donations to the foundation. Artificial intelligence has been dominating headlines since we were first introduced to ChatGPT. Our next guest has called AI the, quote, magic school bus for Silicon Valley. Joining us to discuss the potential of the technology is Marcel Gagné, IT consultant and award-winning author and journalist. Good morning to you, Marcel. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. How the heck are you doing out there? Really good. Thanks. I appreciate you joining us. Can you explain, just to start off, you know, what do you mean by that statement? What do you mean by a magic school bus in terms of AI? Well, actually, it started out, uh, I, it was kind of a joke, actually. I was telling my kids in the morning because we were talking about uh, the magic school bus. If you've ever watched it, mm-hmm. it's uh, Miss Frizzle. She takes her kids on excellent adventures and so forth. But she has this thing where she talks about, you know, uh, take chances, get messy, that sort of thing. And it made me think of the Silicon Valley uh, uh, mime, so to speak, or meme, so to speak, which is uh, move fast and break things. In other words, like just throw stuff out there and uh, do things very quickly, redo things very quickly, and then things advance very quickly as a result of it. Uh, that term originally, move fast, break things, was attributed to um, Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook, who said it. I'm not sure if they still feel the same way these days, but <laughs> that's where that idea came from. And of course, artificial intelligence has been moving incredibly fast. Um, a lot of people, by now, it almost feels like it's been with us for a gazillion years, and in some ways it has, because we've been doing things like autocorrect and whatnot. But um, ChatGPT only came out like back at the end of November. And now it's like everywhere. I mean, it's hard, like even the news at the top of the hour that you had here uh, was talking about Calgary as a health system using AI to try to make things better. So it's everywhere all of a sudden. It is everywhere. So when we talk about it and you say that it's moving fast and furiously, it seems like every week uh, we hear another story uh, about AI, maybe a scary story, or maybe we see a, a creepy generated TV commercial all generated by AI. <laughs> what are the real risks, though, or misconceptions around artificial uh, intelli- uh, intelligence? You know, I mean, there are going to be risks. There's no question. Anytime you introduce a technology that is this powerful into the community, I mean, things are going to happen. Things are going to move fast and things are going to break, uh, which is kind of how we get back to the school bus. But here's the thing. We, as kids, we've all done this thing. You know how you talk about if you had superpower, which superpower would you have? Like, would you fly? Would you be invisible? Would you walk through walls? That sort of thing. Well, we've all been given superpowers all of a sudden. We have these incredible tools that are moving incredibly fast. And in fact, I'm a huge fan of uh, the open source uh, technology. In fact, I've written a lot of books on open source, a lot of articles on the subject. And now that sort of technology has moved into the public. There are people... I mean, we talk about OpenAI and Microsoft and Google and stuff like that, but normal people are actually building and creating these models on their computers. I have a version of ChatGPT running on my PC right now, 
And this stuff is moving so quickly because it's not just in big companies like Google and Microsoft anymore. It's in the hands of everybody, open source developers around the world. So you're going to see things moving a lot faster. But I see this as a positive. I mean, we have big problems in the world and AI is a big set of powerful tools that can help us solve some of those problems, whether it's climate change, whether it's the next pandemic, um, you name it. Uh, let's face it, there are going to be some negatives, but yeah, I mean, why not use it to our advantage? So Marcel, tell us if you've got it running on your computer, what are you using it for? <laughs> um, well, to be perfectly honest, I'm using it mostly for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Um, if I want to do something serious, if I want to do some serious research or something, I'm obviously going to go to OpenAI. And uh, in fact, I have a ChatGPT Plus account. And of course, I will use Microsoft's Bing, which uses uh, GPT-4, uh, which are the most advanced versions of the models. But I also have uh, image generators in my PC. So whenever I write like an article or a blog post or something like that, I generate my own art now using uh, stable diffusion on my computer. And uh, I even have a, a Discord channel where I've got people who share some of the, you know, some of the pictures that they create online as well. Um, I use it to uh, brainstorm, like if I'm trying to come up with an idea for something, uh, not necessarily write for me because the writing is still kind of stilted if you have it do all its own, you know, all its own writing. I mean, you still need writers, you still need editors. Uh, those things aren't going away, but it's great to have somebody that you can just sort of bounce ideas off of who's there like 24 seven and doesn't get upset at you if you say, no, 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 what about this? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're speaking with Marcel Gagné, IT consultant and award-winning author and journalist focusing on AI this morning. And I want to ask you about the impact in the schools in that we're not going to put the genie back in the bottle. But is this oh, God, be no. kind of a, a dance between educators and students to understand how it's used and how it might shape and change, uh, but understanding that it's not going away when it comes to these assignments and essays that kids are going to be tackling? Um, I, I don't see this as a bad thing. In fact, I think that schools should be uh, adopting and accepting the fact that the technology is there. You said the words yourself, the genie is out of the bottle. Nothing is changing. It's like This is not going away anytime soon. And the fact that it's in the open source community now, this whole idea of putting a stop to all of this and sitting back and, you know, and thinking about this for a few months is just not going to happen because everybody has access to it. My, um, my teenager school is, uh, has, have, has accepted it already. They're basically saying, look, you can use ChatGPT to help you in, in doing your work, to help you do your research and so forth. But I want to see where you got your information. I want to know what it is that that uh, spawned your ideas, you know, that, that gave you the starting point for the work that you then are going to do. Because as any writer knows, the hardest thing in the world is looking at that blank page, right? Uh -huh. so, if you, so if you can just have something, okay, like just for God's sakes, just give me an idea. And then all of a sudden there's an idea sitting in front of you. You know what? Like you've just, you've broken through that blank page automatically. And I think for students, it's hard as well, because if you're sitting there in class and you're going like, I just have no idea where to start with this. Well, what if you just had somebody that you could throw this idea off of? And the beautiful thing about these models, and I mean, mostly these days we're talking about generative AI, right? Like creating art and, you know, and, and chat GPT and so forth. The greatest thing about it is that it has infinite patience and it will talk to you, so to speak, in the way that, you know, a friend or a helper or a coworker will talk to you without, you know, honestly driving them crazy with your questions. Speaking and of I think that I think that in sorry, go ahead. No, no, finish. Sorry, you you go. Oh, I was just going to say that anybody who who accepts this up front rather than fighting with it is going to be taking advantage of the fact that the technology is literally giving you a kind of superpower. 
uh, that's the thing. And as Andy said, what's what's the point of fighting it, right? It's here. It's not going to go away. So we might as well embrace it and find ways to work around it, particularly in the schools. Uh, you know, just curious before we let you go, does do you think AI poses a risk to international security, to Canadian security for us in this country? I mean, there are always going to be risks and the minute and and every new technology, particularly in terms of security and so forth, is always going to be an arms race between the people who are developing the technology and the people who are developing the counter technology. I mean, just think about things like spam, for instance. We've got companies whose entire job in life is to try to keep the spam down. And that's not a new thing. I mean, every time there is a new technology in the midst, there's somebody who's going to be trying to use it for their own nefarious purposes, whatever it happens to be, whether it's stealing money or whether it's stealing national secrets. And there are always going to be people who are going to be trying to counter that. So the best way to deal with the challenges is not to ignore them. It's to meet them head on and uh, take advantage of the fact that they give you the same sort of, and I'm going to use that term again, superpowers that your potential adversaries are using. I mean, you don't want them to have superpowers if you don't have superpowers, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like the new arms race to a certain extent, but information. It is. is it is. Yeah. It is, and it's fun. And I'm gonna, you know, and I'm gonna leave you with like a a, quin, a haiku about uh, oh, good. QR 107 that ChatGPT just wrote for you. Okay. Calgary voices in QR 107 Choice Springs Talk Radio rejoices. Wow, look at you. I like it. You're a poet and we didn't even know it. Poetry is great. I'm not the poet. The AI is in this case. I'll add that to your your resume. Thank you so much for your time, Marcel. We appreciate it. Thank you. That was fun. It was great. That is uh, Marcel Gagné, IT consultant and an award-winning author and journalist. What is the key to living a long, happy, and purposeful life? Well, that is the topic of a new book released earlier this month and written by a 102-year-old doctor. Joining us to talk about it is our own doctor, Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning, Dr. J. Good morning, and I'm not 102 yet. You're not even close, and you're way, (laughs) way, way fitter. You know, in fact, what are you, 40, 45 now? Oh, yeah, I wish, I wish. No, <laughs> I'm a little older than that, I must say. Don't we all wish, don't that. we all? Uh, it is a fascinating topic, though, Dr. J. And, you know, when you look at it to begin with, what makes it super interesting is not what the book suggests you need in order to live a long life, yeah. but what to avoid when it comes to living a long life. So tell us about it. Yeah, so this is interesting. This caught my eye. You know, anybody, uh, a 102-year-old person giving you advice, Perhaps you should listen because they might be on to something. So her number one rule, so she has six rules apparently, six secrets to health and happiness. Um, Her first rule is let go of things that drain your energy. And she sort of talks about a physical act where you literally, uh, where you're walking around or you're upright, you're you're moving, you, you think of that thing that's very negative in your life. And you, you clench your fist around it while you're sort of uh, thinking about it, conceptualizing it, and then you, you just drop it as if you're dropping something onto the ground. And, and you say, let it go. Uh, so it's a very sort of sounds kind of, you know, trite or, you know, very simplistic. But uh, there are many, many different uh, medical techniques um, in the trauma world where we do very, very similar techniques, very, very specifically, where we're identifying something um, and then projecting it and then literally trying to have some idea where you're letting it go, you're burning it, you're destroying it, you're just, you, but you have to let it go. 
Uh, and then the idea is by letting go of that negative, you can have room for more positive and feel better about it, as opposed to hanging on and hanging on and hanging on, and the regret and guilt just drags you down. Dr. J, though, could not one of the issues with this philosophy be that we might not even know uh, of those things in our lives that are dragging us down? I guess the first step would be really investigating these things. Yeah, to to that point, and and you're exactly correct. There's sometimes uh, people are stuck and they don't see it, so they need somebody to help a guide, whether that be a counselor, a psychologist, etc. And then they can identify where they are stuck. But once they are identifying that, then can they let that go and move on to something more, more positive? So yes, for that person, you know, I know I'm stuck. I know I'm not doing well, but I just can't figure out what it is. They may need the help. Most people, I would make a guess, do know where they are stuck do know where they're hanging on to things that they know they should let go and they just cannot for whatever reason. And that could be people or things or ideas or concepts or, you know, constructs that are stuck in our brain. There's so many things that we need to let go. Disney had it right. That's why they made that song, by the way, Dr. J. Um, But life is too short, says the author, to ruminate and consider same thought over and over again. By doing so, you're essentially torturing yourself. So it makes sense because it's true. We just, we keep going over the same things and never let them go sometimes. Yes. And I, I mean, I've seen many times in my career um, where, where something bad has happened to somebody and that blame gets put on that thing. And forever after, decades later, my life is ruined because of that one thing and that one thing and that one thing. <laughs> it's like, you know, something if you would have moved on, you would have been so much healthier and happier. But yet, you know, fixated on that, that negative that I cannot change at this point. It's 10 years later. It's 20 years later. But yet ruminating, uh, you know, pointing a finger, blaming as opposed to just saying it happened and you can't do anything and you have to go to a better place. So, yes, a lot of patients I've dealt with over the years who've been stuck on that. And and it's sort of tragic to watch it and not be able to seemingly intervene for that poor patient. Now, is it just something we should surmise that this doctor who's 102 years old, um, you know, maybe doesn't focus on or you can let us know if she digs deeper into it within the uh, the research in the book. But that we're not talking about uh, lifestyle, you know, uh, diet and exercise. Uh, does this just more so speak to the mental aspect and how powerful that could be with the others aside? Oh, totally, totally. And to be honest, could even be with that. Uh, and like in the in the in the, the context of um, if you were a high school student or university college student, you know, uh, very much in athletics, you have an injury. Now you can't do that anymore. Your options are to do nothing or virtually say, you know, no, listen, I'm injured. I cannot, you know, I can't run marathons anymore, but I can still walk. So I get out and the positive is that I can still do something, still feel good about it, as opposed to I used to be able to do this. This was taken away from me. So now I'm not going to do anything at all. I'm going to refuse because, you know, it's been so robbed of me. So whether that be how I eat, whether that be how I exercise, whether that be how I relate to people, whatever. Yeah, I put that positive spin as opposed to that negative spin and go with what I have now because that's all I have. I can't change, you know, if I do have a disability or I do have an injury from the past, I can't change that, but I can work with it and do whatever I can within the context of, of what I can do, right? I also like the concept within the book, Dr. J, that the author talks about being grateful and, you know, what's yeah. enjoying things that are funny. Laugh. So key, so important. 
Well, absolutely. I think we do take ourselves far too seriously. Um, and I can say that even in the context of dealing with people who are ill, who are really struggling, we can still be light within that or find a little bit of humor within that. People who do that seem to do so much better. And I've had many patients who, who have just horrible medical uh, challenges, but yet they're positive and they, they have a sense of humor about them and they just go about their way. And who does better? <laughs> that person compared to something where everything's always deadly serious and they see no light, they see no humor, nothing light. Even if you crack a joke, it's just not, there's nothing funny. Uh, and life is full of funny things, <laughs> whether whether we're struggling or suffering or, or not. I mean, if we see always that little bit of comedy or in ourselves or in the surroundings around us, I think we, we, we do much better. And to be honest, I mean, if you do laugh and you do find that lighter place, you feel better. And that can really uh, resonate into my physical health. My mental health is better because I'm laughing a little bit and I'm just enjoying life. I'm happy as opposed to being miserable and sad all the time. Great points to kick things off with on a Monday as well. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Jay. We appreciate it. Okay, you betcha. Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Mornings with Sue and Andy. Talk on FM. QR Calgary. It's the most wonderful time of the year. No, it's not Christmas, but it is the season of giving for the Calgary Children's Foundation. And joining us to talk about the impact of Pledge Day and your donation is John Voss, Regional Program Director for Chorus Radio and Chairman of the Calgary Children's Foundation. Hi, John. Hey, good morning to both of you. Nice good to morning. talk to you. Thanks for joining us. It's a busy, busy day for you and the team at the Calgary Children's Foundation. Tell everybody about what today is. Well, actually, it was last Friday, and talk about uh, being on the horns of a dilemma, right? Because you have a bunch of great Calgary charities, like 58 of them that applied for funding, and you get to help some of them but not all of them. And so last Friday, the board met uh, the Calgary Children's Foundation. So it's the board's made up of some members from QR Calgary, from the Western Calgary, from Global News, and then we have some uh, members from the community at large. And we go through each application and have a look at sort of what the work is that they're doing and specifically uh, if they need our help because there's there's a lot of different organizations in this town as you both well know that you know don't have that sophistication to go out and fundraise and find money and and so they come to us there are some that that can do it and we step up for them because golly they're they're, they're doing such a good job I'll just to share with you so we gave out the you know, big uh, deep breath here. We gave out two hundred and twenty-five thousand um, dollars over the course of the day, and you know, some of the groups we helped. Uh, this uh, some interesting, different ones. This one organization is called Jammies for Gram- Grammys, and it's a group of grandmas that collects pajamas and toys and socks and books for kids, and then they make sure that they're distributed to needy kids. Like talk about right, right in the trenches. And then there's there's the bigger pieces. You know we. Uh, for sure, the, the Safe Haven Foundation, they they do work with at-risk young girls to sort of get them out of the cycle so they don't end up in um, street prostitution and in, in, you know, that vicious addiction cycle. A number of different organizations we help uh, zero in on, you know, the, the very difficult pieces that are we're seeing now throughout our community re- relating to 
you know, uh, addiction in the community. So that kind of thing was really part of the the, the main piece is trying to find ways in which we can connect these dollars that our audience so generously donates and find a way to help and help in some capacity. So that, you know, the, the day is such that you go, yeah, this is, this is, this is what it's all about. But you also, you come away and you, you look at the various asks and needs and you say, okay, uh, we can't help everybody. So we, we really have to put a, a pretty uh, tight magnifying glass on things to make sure that, uh, you know, the dollars go to those that are, you know, most in need. Are you taken aback, John, because you and all the elves who do great work <laughs> at the Calgary Children's Foundation, it's a good problem to have to have $225,000 to dole out. But are you surprised at just how many great organizations there are in the city? And it's unfortunate we can't help them all, but does, does it surprise you? You know, there, there. It's a really good point, Andrew. In that, uh, you know, the, the there's a bunch of people that are just doing the work in the trenches, and they're they're evolving. They're slowly getting stronger. They're slowly finding their way and finding their community and the community that needs their help, but then also that community that can help fund them and support them. You know, I, I often harken back to Kids Cancer Care and uh, Christina Wanzira. You know. Christina McIver, and uh, she started this grassroots organization that helps kids with cancer. And she's, her organization has taken it to the next level. And we were kind of there at the beginning and helped them get going. And there are many like that. And so, you know, you look for those pieces. There's another one that we, uh, we funded uh, called Two Wheel View. And it's a, it's a group that helps kids come in and they do some maintenance up the upcycle uh, bicycles, right? Uh, bicycles that, okay, maybe were, uh, you know, still usable, and they find a way. It's called their uh, earn a bike program. You know, give them five thousand bucks, and that's going to help a ton of kids. We're going to have bikes this summer, so you know, those those talk about small. Talk about you know, groups that may not be at the center of the radar screen. So, John, you talk about, I mean, so many apply and, and would love to have, a, you know, a piece of the pie for sure. How do you decide it's got to be really difficult? Yeah, it is. You know, there, there are groups that uh, don't completely meet the criteria of helping kids. So, you know, there's a, a small handful that, uh, you know, we wouldn't even consider. And then we have a pretty robust look at where their financials are at. So how much money do they use for administration fees? How much money uh, do they actually have in the bank? Do they have a bunch of fixed assets? All of those things, you know, can mean a couple of things. And that's the piece that we also look at is, do they really need our 10,000 bucks? Uh, and in some respects, oh, they do completely. And in other respects, we, we elect to fund them because uh, their story is so compelling and points to sort of how generous and plugged in these groups are to, to helping people in the community. I do have it up uh, right now, the CalgaryChildrensFoundation.com, and it's a wealth of information to find out more about exactly what you can be do, uh, be doing to make a difference and uh, the organizations involved. The Donate tab, I can still see that. Is that active, John, that you could oh, donate yes. at any time? Yeah, you can donate at any time, um, the, and the charities that we funded. I don't think the website's updated quite yet, but it will be uh, today, and we'll have all the different organizations that got some piece of funding. We we like to reach out to them first and say, hey, congratulations, before we put it out on the World Wide Web. 
Well, we can send people to the website, as we're talking yes. about. Donate yes. anytime you like, calgarychildrensfoundation.com, uh-huh. and get all the information that you might need there and, you know, apply for your organization too, yeah. right? Yeah, totally. Always Love open. It. Thank you okay. for the update. It's really important that people know where their their hard-earned dollars that they donate to this program go, and, and they can see the end result right here in the community, right? Hey, uh, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. All the best. John okay. Voss, Regional Program Director for Chorus, and he is chair of the Calgary Children's and, Foundation. You know, Sue, what, what I think this is akin to, because it's nice to keep it the conversation going, it underscores that it's a 365-day totally, year thing. Yeah. Although the yeah. first week in December, we are all about it. Mm-hmm. And we, we give you the wrap-up and let you know the date and when you're going to be listening and, and talk about the charities that we'll be highlighting in more detail, right? But it's very similar to the food bank in that it's, we, we think seasonally, right. but it's a full calendar year thing. Yeah, might, it might not be on your radar no. necessarily because the Radiothon part is over, but it is an ongoing process. Can you imagine having to make that decision? But on the flip side, seeing all those amazing charities that do such great work and a little bit of money can go a long, long way for them, right? The difference that can be made, and yep. again, online, calgarychildrensfoundation.com.